We have made it abundantly clear that the best way to protect civilians is for Qaddafi uh, to cease his ruthless, brutal attacks on civilians from the west to the east, uh, to withdraw from the cities that he is sieging and attacking, and to leave power. So that is uh, the outcome we are seeking. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Today is Tuesday, May 10th, and that was Secretary of State Hillary Clinton you heard at the top. Today on the podcast, the story of a finance minister so desperate for money, he has to break into and rob one of his own banks. It's the economics of a revolution. It's a hell of a billboard, Robert Smith. I cannot wait. But first, as always, the Planet Money Indicator, Jacob. Today's Planet Money Indicator, it's 103. As of this afternoon, you can buy one barrel of oil in the United States for about $103. Now, this is lower than the price of oil was a week ago. There was this big fall in oil prices late last week. But it's much higher than the price of oil was just a few months ago. The price of oil has been going up and up and up. I'm going to admit something to you. I never pay attention to this number when people say it because I feel like gas is the one thing I know the price of, that and a gallon <laughs> of milk. Like I drive by. I have a car. I put gas in. I know what it is week to week. It's around $4 a gallon right now. And so when, when they talk about barrels, I'm just, whatever. I know the price. Well, you know, the price of gas is hugely important, and it's something that everybody pays attention to. It's something that everybody's been worried about. But one of the really interesting things about oil is it's not just about gas. And when you start thinking about oil and the economy, you kind of, you see oil everywhere. I mean, if you just take, for example, just this week, look at some of the big economic numbers that are coming out. We have the U.S. trade numbers. They're coming out tomorrow. When the price of oil goes up, because we import oil, that means our imports go up, so our trade deficit goes up. That's slows economic growth. So you got oil there. Then on Friday, say we got inflation coming. Inflation, of course, has recently been driven up by the rising cost of oil. So you see oil there too. And broadly, when the price of oil goes up, people do start getting worried about the economy. So this dip we saw in the price of oil, if that holds, that, that would actually be a good thing. It's like oil runs in our veins. Sure. Or at least through the cars. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jacob. Sure, Robert. So, on to the economics of a revolution. We saw a tweet a few months ago that got us interested in this topic. It was from a University of Washington Business School grad in Seattle. And here's what it said. Wow, my MBA economics professor is becoming finance minister in Libya's government. Now, this isn't Muammar Gaddafi's government we're talking about. This is the new government started by the rebels that are fighting for control of the country. Now, normally we get news out of Libya and it's from the battlefield. The NATO forces are bombing something in the capital. The rebels are advancing on one city or another. But what we often don't see is what goes on behind the front lines in the offices, you know, with the file cabinets and the computers and the spreadsheets. But the financial part of a revolution is critical. I mean, armies need money. They have to pay soldiers. They have to buy weapons. And to get money, you need to have a guy who's going to go out and find it. In other words, you need a finance minister, even for a revolution. So the rebels in Libya turned to an unlikely source, a man named Ali Tarhouni. He teaches a popular microeconomics class at the University of Washington. Adam Davidson and I got to talk to Tarhouni when he was back briefly from Libya in Washington, D.C. Just uh, three, four months ago, the hardest decision that I took is, you know, what do I have for lunch? And here I am. It's very tough. You have to make decision on the fly. And I keep telling people that because I'm so pressed of time, 
I'm glad that I don't have the chance to look back at what I'm doing because um, maybe it's frightening, some of these decisions that I took. Now think about how amazing this is. Tarhouni left Libya almost 40 years ago. He settled in the United States. He has a wife and kids. He's never run an economy before of any size. He teaches microeconomics. But he did have one big qualification for the job of finance minister. Muammar Gaddafi hated him. In fact, Gaddafi had sentenced Tarhouni to death. When I was at the university, I was very active in opposing Gaddafi. Uh, this is in the early 70s. And then in many ways, I was given a choice to leave the country or go to jail, and I decided to leave the country. What was your crime? Uh, well, just speaking my mind. Uh, from day one, Gaddafi couldn't really tolerate any, any form of dissent. And they uh, put my name among 40 or 50 on uh, hit list in the 1980s. Meaning assassins should go around the world hunting you down? Actually, I think they killed about 20, 21 in Europe. Some of my comrades uh, were hung on uh, uh, April 7th, uh, 1977, in public square, and they were all students. Um, but the only crime is that they were a member of a student union. So that would have been you if you had stayed? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So instead of staying in Libya, Tarhouni comes to the United States. And even here, he remains a vocal opponent of Gaddafi's regime. And he says that in recent years, though, he became less involved in the exile cause because it looked like Gaddafi was never going to leave until this spring. When the Libyan rebellion started, Tarhouni was riveted to the news. He had to see it in person. So he left his wife behind and he flew to Cairo. He crossed the border by car. That was the easiest way to get there. But this was a 15-hour ride to Benghazi, the rebel capital. And when he got there, the makeshift government had a surprise for him. They wanted him to run all their finances. Now, finance minister is a fancy title, but in a war, it means just one thing. You need to find the money. Find a way to beg, borrow, or steal enough cash to keep the revolution going. So when Tarhouni first arrived back in Benghazi, there was at least one hopeful sign. There was commerce on the streets. You know, you see vendors everywhere now, it's a, even though it's, as I said, the state of war. Uh, you can walk in in these, uh, in these cities and buy anything, uh, just about everything. You, not everything, but you can buy a lot of goods. These are people going to Egypt and bringing it in the truck. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and they're making things. So it's a very, it's not thriving. We're in a war, but given the fact that we're in a war, it looks good to me at least when I pass by. Now, your finance minister, do you look at it all this thriving commerce and say... I should tax some of that. I should get some money into the uh, treasury. I Trust me, I entertain that almost every second, but I, I don't think it's the right time to do it. And besides, we, Libya has a lot of wealth, a lot of future, and uh, you know, we may, we're going to make it a, a, a great small country. In the, so I'm, I'm not too worried about um, customs or taxes now. Okay, so taxes won't work. Tariffs on imports are almost impossible to enforce because the borders are so porous. So how else could he raise the money? I asked him about all that oil, but Tarhouni says there isn't really enough, and the rebel-held areas don't have any processing refineries. So where's the easiest place to get money? Tarhouni looks around Benghazi, and there it is. He sees the answer. There's a central bank, uh, the branch of the central bank in Benghazi, and there's three keys for it. There's a, we have two, and one is in Tripoli. So I, I, I never thought uh, <laughs> that I'll be doing this. So I issued an order basically to, uh, you know, rob the central bank. Because <laughs> you and, couldn't get the third key. Yeah, you know. And, so uh, how'd you get in? They basically dug a hole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, they were thinking about dynamiting the thing, but we're afraid whatever currency that we have there would uh, would burn. But anyway, so we, the money that I found is about four, five hundred million dinars. Now that equals about two hundred million dollars, which is a pretty good haul if you're a criminal. But if you're running a revolution, I mean, two hundred million dollars is pocket change. And remember, this is actual paper money, wads and wads of cash. Now, you can use that to pay a few salaries inside the country, but you can't really send boxes filled with paper money to buy supplies in the international market. So Tarhuni needed to get creative, to basically dig his way into a much bigger bank. He needed to find all the money that Gaddafi had been hiding in accounts around the world. What I know for a fact is that uh, we have at least uh, $200 billion uh, minimum. $200 billion? Uh, Yeah, right, with a B, right. For years, Gaddafi had been squirreling away money in dollars and euros in banks around the world. After Gaddafi started his crackdown on the rebels, governments around the world froze those accounts. No money in or out. So Tarhouni knows the money's there. And the way he sees it, the money belongs to the Libyan people, the people he claims the rebels are fighting for. But Tarhouni can't use a withdrawal slip, so he comes up with another plan. Last week, he went to Rome to an international meeting of NATO countries and Arab states, and he made the pitch. Don't give me Gaddafi's frozen money. Lend me his money until we win. So the mechanism that we asked for is that we have a line of credit or a loan backed by these assets. Who was give us the money? Basically, we're looking for uh, countries that have assets that are frozen. And we are getting a line of credit from a country through a bank that basically have these frozen assets as a collateral. So it, it's actually a, a very safe transaction for most of these, for all of these countries, because they're not, they're, there's no risk here. They have the, they have the assets. Uh, yeah. I mean, the only risk would be if Gaddafi was triumphant and retained leadership. And, and then that's not going to happen. Take my word for that. We could take your word for it, but it, it might be hard to get a bank and another government to take your word for it. No, no. I think I think actually, surprisingly, I think everybody seems to agree. We don't really have any pushback from any country because it's very easy to make a case that Gaddafi is done, you know, just a question of time. Just a question of time and a question of whether Tarhouni can raise enough money to wait him out. As always, we'd love to hear what you thought of the podcast. Send an email to planetmoney at npr.org. You can post comments on Facebook. Or if your professor is running a revolution somewhere, send us a tweet. We're on Twitter. I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening. She's got red lipstick and a bright pair of shoes. She's got knee-high socks. What's a cover it, who?